I'm pastor of Life Groups here at Lake Hills Church, and I'm so thrilled every time Mac gives me an opportunity to uh, to share with you uh, things from usually things from my own life, but also especially things from God's Word. Just a thrill for me. And by the way, somebody uh, somebody mentioned I, if you notice this little finger right here, you probably can't see it. It's it's that it's dark. You can tell it's dark. That that's not mold. Okay, I realize we've had a lot of rain. There's a lot of moldy things going on around here, but that's not my little finger. What that is, uh, my three-year-old little granddaughter was painting fingers this week, and uh, we were down there in Houston while she was painting fingers, and she wanted to do one of mine, and so she picked this one. By the way, we were down there in Houston because... My uh, daughter-in-law, Courtney, has had some really serious surgery. Many, many of you were praying for her over the last month or so, and everything went great, even better than we expected, and I'm so thrilled. Thank you all. Thank you all for praying, uh, praying for Courtney. Uh, and Patsy and I came back having spent, <laughs> I started to say, a really relaxing week with my three-year-old granddaughter, but there is no such thing. But we did have fun, and all I ended up with was a, uh, was sort of a, you know, a moldy-looking finger. By the way, okay, uh, how many of you have been to see the, the new Avengers movie, Civil Wars? I want to see your hands. Wow, not very many of y'all. But that was a really good movie. We celebrated Mother's Day going to see that, that movie. Patsy was thrilled when, we found, when she found out what we were going to do to celebrate Mother's Day. In fact, she said this is a, maybe one of the more memor- memorable Mother's Days to go and see Civil Wars, Avengers, Civil Wars. You know, in, in that movie, Civil Wars, there was a couple of uh, the, uh, uh, the Avenger guys that were not in that movie. Okay, one of them was Thor. Okay, he wasn't in there. I don't know why he wasn't in there, but he wasn't in there. But there was another guy, another one of the Avengers, who was not in that movie. Who was it? Hulk. That's exactly right, Hulk. guy, isn't he? You know what? Which would you rather have? Would you rather have him as your friend or your enemy? Friend. You betcha. Okay, here's another good one. How would you like to have him for your dad? Wouldn't that be scary? In fact, I bet if he was your dad, how many, how many of your friends would want to do a sleepover at your house? Yeah, zero. Somebody says zero. And I cure you, even if some of your friends wanted to do a sleepover at your house, their parents wouldn't let them come to your house to do a sleepover. He is a scary, scary guy. Take your Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to unpack some scary, some scary this morning. Uh, but take your Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 1. My dad, by the way, my dad was not the Hulk. I'm, uh, I mean, you just look at me, okay? It's obvious when you look at me, no, that's not his dad. 
But, uh, but my dad was a scary guy. He, uh, his whole, all of his growing up years, he got in trouble a lot because he was a scary kind of a guy. He, he, he was a tough guy. Uh, he really was. And, and part of that toughness applied to the way he spanked me. Uh, he, he used a belt. Uh, some of you, I've talked to some people. I, I don't know if people still do that, but my, my dad used his belt. And, and it must have really made an impression on me because a lot of times I would be about to do something that, uh, that I was going to get in trouble for, for, and I didn't do it simply because I would hear my dad say, son, and I would look around and his hands would be on his belt. And, and you know what? That's all it took. Now, I, I want to say something. I loved my dad. He's gone to be with the Lord. I love my dad. My dad loved me, loved, loved me. He, he would have died for me. But at that moment when my son, when my dad said, son, and I looked up and his hands were on his belt, I just confess I wasn't feeling love. I wasn't even feeling loved right at that moment. Now, you know what? We've been, talk- we've been talking about a whole series called Tough as Nails. And today we're going to talk about tough love. And when I think of tough love, my dad is one of those guys that actually comes to mind because he, that was his love, especially when he had his hands on his belt. Now, can you imagine though, if the Hulk was your dad? What would you be feeling if you looked up and the Hulk had his hands on his belt? I mean, folks, you talk about tough love. That takes tough love to a whole nother level. Let's pray before, before we continue. Lord God, Father, I thank you. I just thank you from the bottom of my heart for the privilege that you have given me to talk about how awesome you are to these people. And God, there's so many things in me that could get in the way of that. And Lord, I just ask you to get them out of the way and fill me with your spirit so that I can just share with these people the truth from your word, the things that are on my heart, the things that you've shown me about you. Lord, your excellencies, you are awesome, God. Give me the grace to be able to share that and that nothing in me would get in the way. Open up our eyes to incredible truth from your word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. In Hebrews chapter 12, I want you to just look at verse 29. And we're going to stay in Hebrews chapter 12 for a while, all the whole time this morning. So just when we read this one little bitty verse, don't close your Bibles or turn your phone off. Uh, but hold on to Hebrews 12. It says, for our God is a devouring fire. Now, I want you to think about that for a second. Our God is not just fire. He's not just fire that burns up. Hebrews 12 describes our God as a devouring, a totally consuming fire. It's like being at ground zero in a nuclear blast. I'm a real visual person. As as you can tell, we have these couple of props up here. We'll be talking about these later. I'm a very visual person. And I thought long and hard about how in the world can I get 
illustrate? Can I, can I do something visual to talk about this devouring fire? I had one idea. I thought, you know what? We could bring a bunch of propane tanks into the room and, and cover the platform and, and put them out here and turn them all on, you know, about, uh, about an hour before the service, and then I could just strike a match. You know, that would be a perfect illustration of this devouring fire. The problem was, I couldn't figure out how to do it for both services. I mean, it was only going to work for one, and, and so if I did it for the first one, then y'all would get left out. So I decided not to do the propane tank thing. We're just going to have to settle for the hawk, okay? But if our God is a devouring fire, then that means as scary as the hawk is... He's as harmless as an earthworm compared to our God who is a devouring fire. Now, I have good news and bad news. Emily Richard, I saw you out there a while ago. What do you think I should talk about first, the good news or the bad news? The good first. Okay, that's the right answer, by the way. Okay, I'm glad you did that. The first service didn't get it right, and I had, to, I had to give them two chances. Okay, let me give you the good news. Let me give you the good news. The good news is that if you're a Christ follower, our God, who is a devouring fire, he's not your enemy. In fact, the good news is our God, who's a devouring fire, a devouring fire is your father. Now, that's the good news. Now, you want to hear the bad news? Here's the bad news. The bad news is, if you're a Christ follower, God, who is a devouring fire, is your father. You got that? Y'all are sharp. I know you caught it. Okay, now you say, well, hold it. I thought God was love. Yes, he is. Incredible love. John chapter 3, verse 16 says that God loved us so much he sent Jesus. You can't have more love than that. That passage from, from John that Wes shared a while ago, greater love has no man than he who lays down his life for his friends. That describes our Father's love for us. That's an incredible love. But he is also a devouring fire. That makes him dangerous. That's like my dad. My dad loved me with a love that, that, that is just, never once ever did I doubt my, love, my father's love for me. But my dad was also dangerous, especially when I looked up and saw his hands on his belt. Now, Israel encountered God as a devouring fire when they went to Mount Sinai. Well, we're going to let this table represent Mount Sinai. And you see all these books on it? Actually, these are law books. Let me read you a couple of these. Texas Rules of Evidence Handbook. Doesn't that sound exciting? 2013. Okay, it's a little not up to date, but doesn't that, that's the kind of stuff you want to read But when you go to bed at night. Okay, here's another one. Texas Criminal Courts. Boy, doesn't that sound... Now, the reason I put these law books up there is, is because it was at Mount Sinai that God gave Israel the law. He gave them the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai. So after Moses brought Israel out of Egypt, they all gathered around this, mo the, the, this mountain. And the Bible says God descended on this mountain in this devouring fire, and it was 
awesome. It was incredible. It was absolutely terrifying. And then God spoke. And you know what he said? He said the Ten Commandments. That's it. He said the Ten Commandments. And it was so scary that the people of Israel said, stop, 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 stop. Don't let him keep speaking. Look at this in Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 18. It says, you, it says talking about this mountain, this physical mountain, he said, it says, it was a place of flaming fire, darkness, gloom, and whirlwind, as the Israelites did at Mount Sinai. It said, for they heard an awesome trumpet blast and a voice so terrible that they begged God to stop speaking. And even Moses, look down in verse 21. It says, Moses himself was so frightened at the sight that he said, I am terrified and trembling. Folks, that's pretty scary. If even Moses was absolutely terrified. That's God, the devouring fire. But... Why don't you look back at the first part of that verse, verse 18, which says, you have not, you, Christ followers, you have not come to this mountain, this physical mountain. If you're a Christ follower, then your relationship with God is not dependent on your obedience to the law. As important as the law was, as big of a deal as it was, that's not the basis of your relationship with God. Now look down at verse 22. It says, no, you haven't come to this mountain. You have come to Mount Zion. So let's let this table represent Mount Zion. He says, you've come to this other mountain, Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, to the heavenly Jerusalem, and to countless thousands of angels and in joyful gathering. Zion, there really is a Mount Zion. Jerusalem's built on part of Mount Zion, but that's not the Zion that he's talking about here in Hebrews. He calls this the heavenly Jerusalem. He's talking about God's dwelling place. He's talking about where all of God's people gather. He's talking about heaven. And then he goes on in this really, really brief description. Look in verse 23. He says, you have come to the assembly of God's firstborn children. That's you, Christ followers. He says, you have come to the assembly of God's firstborn children whose names are written in heaven. He says, you have come to God himself who is the judge over all things. He says, you have come to the spirits of the righteous ones in heaven who have now been made perfect. Folks, I love that verse. The righteous ones who have now been made perfect. Talking about the people of God who have been declared righteous because of their faith in Christ. But says now they've been made perfect. They've been made perfect. Sin and all of the effects of sin and all of the consequences of sin. It's gone. It's not even there. They are absolutely perfect. This is what God's people were created for. And they're finally there. They were created for this before sin entered the picture. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 says that if we confess our sins, that God is faithful and he will forgive us of all our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What an incredible promise, especially to somebody like me who always has so many sins to confess. 
But folks, I look so forward to the day when I don't have to confess sin anymore because I don't sin. Wow. And that's on this mountain. That's on this mountain where God's peoples are gathered. There's no sin. I don't have sin to confess. You know, I don't talk much about heaven. I never have. Most of the time when I talk to people about God, I talk about the difference that God can make in their relationships right now. About how God can make a difference in their marriage. About how God can make a difference in their family. About how God can make a difference in the guilt and the shame that they feel because of sin. About how God can make a huge difference in their lives so that their lives actually change. About how God can get them through even tough seasons of life. I talk to people about God and that relationship with God and the difference he makes right now. But I want you to look at a verse that Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul said, if our hope in Christ is only for this life, then we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. You realize the implications of that verse? The implications of that verse is that regardless of how many incredible victories God may have won in our lives in relationship to our marriage or family or in relationship to feelings of guilt and shame and life change and regardless of how many incredible victories God has given us over sin, okay, that's not even comparable to what comes next for Christ followers. Doesn't even belong in the same picture. I want you to look at verse 23 again. Romans, I mean not Romans, Hebrews 12, 23. And I want you to notice, to pay attention to, to the when, the when uh, 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 words. He says, you have come. You have come to the assembly of God's firstborn children whose names are written in heaven. You have come now. Look at the next phrase. You have come to God himself, who is the judge over all things. Now. The next phrase. You have come to the spirits of the righteous ones in heaven who have now been made perfect. Now here it is in this passage where he's talking about what comes next. But when he's talking about us, he's talking about it as here and now. Now think about the implications of that. Folks, we have come into the company of those who are in heaven, of those who belong in heaven. We have come into the company of those who belong in heaven because we belong in heaven. That's where we belong. We no longer belong here. We belong there. That's what Jesus said in John chapter 17. This verse is incredible. Jesus said, they, talking about you and me, do not belong in this world any more than I do. Jesus said it. He said, you don't belong here. We don't belong here any more than he does. We all know that Jesus belongs here. But Jesus said, we don't belong here either. We belong 
where he belongs. Folks, the moment Jesus Christ entered your life, that moment, that instant, your citizenship was transferred here instantly. So this world really is not our home anymore. Now let's keep going because it's going to even get more exciting. Look in verse 24. It says, you have come, present tense. Oh, not present tense. It's continuous present. Okay. You have come to Jesus, the one who mediates the new covenant between God and people. Now, a mediator, so Jesus is our mediator. A mediator is a person who stands between two parties and reconciles, what helps them reconcile whatever differences there are between the two. Now, obviously, God, who is perfect and holy and righteous and light with no darkness at all, there would be a whole lot of issues between God, who is a consuming fire, and us, there's stuff wrong with us. That's why we confess sin. Okay, there's a lot of issues there. But the mediator stands, but comes and he stands between the two and he resolves these, these issues. And Hebrews says, he did it by dying for us. We said that a while ago, we, and we sang that a while ago, where Jesus paid it all. Jesus resolved those issues between us and a God who is a consuming fire. Okay, but there's more. Jesus, oh, excuse me, a mediator does not just represent one party. A mediator re represents two parties. Now, you know what that means? God did not just give Jesus for us. God gave Jesus to us. So Jesus, he is our representative. Okay? And as our representative, Jesus himself draws us close to God. The Bible calls that grace. The whole book of Hebrews has been saying, because of this grace, let's draw near to God. Jesus is the one who makes that happen. He draws us to God. That's grace. And the word grace, it, it's a gift. That's why I have this gift. That's why I used a gift. Okay, over here we have the law. Okay, it's a gift. It's based completely on what Jesus has done for us. It's a gift. In fact, that's what the, Bible, uh, the, the New Testament says in 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5, verse 11 and 12. says, God has given us eternal life. He's given it to us. We didn't earn it. He gave it to us. And look where the life is. It says, this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Folks, this mountain, this mountain is our mountain. This mountain is where we belong. This mountain defines who we are. And who we are is all because God gave his son. The only thing that's left to decide is our response to this gift. That's it. This has been settled. God gave his son. The only thing that's left is how are we going to respond to it? And folks, we really, 
We really, it's really important that we do have a response. Look in the next verse, verse 25. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 25. It says, Be careful that you do not refuse to listen to the one who is speaking. For, so be sure you have a response. It says, For if the people of Israel did not escape when they refused to listen to Moses, the earthly messenger, we will certainly not escape if we reject the one who speaks to us from heaven. Now, that's a reference to what happened at Sinai over here on this mountain. Because what happened on this mountain is the mountain was being consumed by this all this devouring fire, and God spoke, and he spoke the Ten Commandments. And the Bible says, they said, stop, don't talk anymore. And so from then on, Moses went up the mountain, and God just spoke to Moses. But you know what they did less than six weeks later? Less than six weeks later, they made a golden calf. God had said in the Ten Commandments, don't do that. Don't make idols. Look, I'm a consuming fire. You can't make an idol that's going to look like this. Don't make an idol. Yet less than six weeks later, it's they rejected that, and they made a golden calf. And when they did, 3,000 people died. Folks, that's when God puts his hands on his belt. Okay? 3,000 people died. And, and so the writer to the Hebrews says, don't do that. He said, if they didn't escape, how much are we not going to escape if we ignore this message. He says, please, he says, please pay attention. God is not going to do this again. So how does God want us to respond to this gift? If it's important that we not reject it, if it's that important that we respond to it, how does God want us to respond? Let's back up to verse 14 in chapter 12. Because this is where the writer to the Hebrews begins this conversation about the two different mountains. And this is where he begins this conversation about how God wants us to respond to this mountain, Zion. Look what he says. He says, work at living in peace with everyone and living and and work at living a holy life. Now the, the new living translation uses the word work at, uses it twice, which is a good thing. It is something like working out your salvation. But the word that New American Standard uses, I prefer, there's actually a better word, I think. It's the word pursue. He says, pursue peace with people. Now think about that. That was Jesus' purpose for coming to earth, to, to, to make, make peace between God and man. He says, pursue peace with people. And then he also says, pursue holiness. That's a Christ-like life. Now catch this. I'm going to boil this all down. How God wants us to respond to this gift. God wants us to pursue him, to chase after him and his purposes for our lives. He wants us to pursue him. You see, folks, the Christian life is a journey. We never on this earth, 
We never arrive at exactly the person God wants us to be. We're always pursuing it. The Christian life is a journey in which we continue to pursue God and his purposes for our life. It's like what Jesus said in Matthew where, where Jesus said, seek Seek first, run after the kingdom of God and his righteousness and let him take care of everything else. God has given us this incredible gift. The gift is his son. And everything that he wants to give us is in this box, is in this gift. It's in Jesus. In fact, the Bible says, He did not, who did not spare his own son, but freely gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? The Christian life and all that it's supposed to be, the whole Christian journey, is in this box, is in this gift, the gift of his son. And he wants us to chase after it, to chase after it, to keep opening that box and chasing after everything that goes with our relationship. With, with him. That's what he wants. That's how he wants us to respond. Now, there are three groups of people, I believe, in this room. Okay, three different groups of people. Uh, and I'm going to say three groups of people based on uh, how we respond to God's grace. And I'm going to label these three groups of people chasers, chasers, trailers, and non-responsive, that's kind of a hospital term, it's not a good word. Okay, but so chasers, trailers, and non-responsive. And I want to talk just very briefly about those three groups of people, and you decide which one, which group you're in. For first of all, the chasers. They're chasing after, they're pursuing God and His purposes. Now, I've thought a lot about this, especially in my own life, and I believe there are four essentials to pursuing God and his purposes. I think one absolute essential is a regular time with God, which includes prayer and the Bible. Not just prayer. We need to put the Bible in there. A regular time with God. If we're pursuing God, then the Bible tells us about God. If we're pursuing God, the Bible defines his purposes. If we're pursuing God, the Bible defines what the Christian life, holiness, what, what the Christian life is supposed to look like. So, I, I honestly, I don't know how you can pursue God without a regular time with Him. That includes the Bible. So, that's one. I think a second essential is connecting with God's people. Connecting with His people. That's what in here at Lake Hills Church, that's why we have Bible studies and life groups. Okay, so that we can connect with each other. The Christian life is something we do, is something we develop and we grow as a group, connecting with God's people. And then I think a third essential element of chasing after God is a short sin list. Now, by short sin list, I don't mean short sins as opposed to tall sins. Okay, short sins would just describe me. Okay, tall sins would describe Mac. Okay, so we're not talking, we're not talking about short sins and tall sins. Okay, by short sin list, I mean that we don't just wait until our sin list gets really long before we confess it. Keeping a short sin list means when we sin, when we screw up, then tell God, God, I screwed up. 1 John 1, 9 says he forgives us. We're looking forward to the day we don't have to keep doing that. But just, God, I screwed up. You know what? The greatest heroes of the faith... 
the greatest heroes of faith, they all struggled with sin. I know in Romans chapter 7, Paul, the Apostle Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, the Apostle Paul was disgusted with himself. He called himself a wretched man. And you know why? He said he called himself a wretched man. He says, because the things that I really want to do, which are in obedience to God, he says, I don't do those things. Instead, I do the things I don't want to do, which I hate. So Paul says, my sin makes me a wretched man. He, he struggled with sin, just like we do. I believe that the enemy's greatest victories are not when he convinces us to sin. I believe the enemy's greatest victories are when we don't reconnect with God after we sin. You see, Jesus paid it all. Jesus dealt with all that sin. But when we don't reconnect with God after our sin, okay, then that sin just sort of sits there and, and consumes us. When God says, look, reconnect with me. You know Proverbs? Proverbs chapter, let me see what chapter it is. Proverbs chapter 24, verse 16 says, a righteous man falls seven times. You know what that implies? That means the righteous man falls a whole bunch. But every time he falls, he doesn't stay down. Every time he falls, he says, God, I screwed up. And God says, okay, then let's keep going. Don't give the enemy a chance to make that, that great victory, to turn that one sin that God's taken care of and turn it into a, a big victory. So time with God. Connecting with God's people. Short sin list. One more. And that is always looking for the next right thing. Which brings us to the whole sermon series that starts next week. Always looking for the next right thing. You see, it's in doing the next right thing that God is going to be accomplishing His purposes in our life. In fact, many times it's in doing the next right thing that eventually we figure out what those purposes are, doing the next right thing. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6 says, He that begin a good work in you will complete it in the day of Christ Jesus. And folks, it will take that long. So that's the chasers. That's those, uh, those of us chasing after God and his purposes. Let's talk about the trailers. The trailers are people who, whose spiritual journey has been put on hold for some reason. Verse 15 in chapter 12 talks about them. So Hebrews 12, 15 says, Look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. It's a, literally it's so that none, none of you fall short. And this is actually a word picture. It's a word picture of a group of people that's traveling on a journey together, but one person is lagging behind. So God has given grace for the spiritual journey but one person is lagging behind. Now, why would somebody lag behind or fall short or put their spiritual journey on hold? Did they get tied up in some sin? Yeah, maybe. He, Hebrews chapter 12, 
says that when, when, when we set out on this spiritual journey, it says to lay aside all the heavy things, the weights, let God carry those things, and, and, and lay aside the, tent, the sin that so easily tangles us up. And yeah, we can get tangled up in sin, and that can cause us to put our spiritual journey on hold. But I believe that for most Christians, the main reason that a Christ follower puts their spiritual journey on, on hold is because they take their eyes off of Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 12, <clears throat> verse 1, it says, Let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us, this spiritual journey. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. You see, folks, the Christian life is grace-driven. It's all of grace from beginning to end. God gives us by His Spirit everything we need for this spiritual journey. But He gives it to us as we focus our mind's eye on Jesus. The instant we take our mind's eye and we lose that Jesus focus, then that our spiritual journey gets put on hold. Now for me personally... My spiritual journey gets put on hold when I become self-absorbed. Yeah, that's a good word. Let's call it that. When I become self-absorbed, there's something I'm worrying about. Uh, there's something I don't understand. Uh, there's something I'm disappointed in. And whenever I get self-absorbed, then it's like there's this fog all around my life, and, and I cannot... Focus, I lose sight of Jesus because I'm so absorbed in myself. That's for me. Other people, their spiritual journey gets put on hold when their life becomes so full of other things that God gets squeezed out. Deuteronomy warns us of that. In De Deuteronomy chapter 8, it warns us, he says, Beware that in your plenty you do not forget the Lord your God. Talking about beware that when your life gets so full of stuff that you forget God. I have a good friend. His name's Gary Brandenburg. He's pastor of Fellowship Bible Church in Dallas. It's a big church. They, they support a lot of missions efforts in third world countries. And, and Gary recently came back from visiting with one of these mission efforts, the local pastors in this third world country. And before he left, he turned to this pastor and he said, I want you to know, says, we pray for you all the time. And this pastor, he's kind of had this shocked look on his face. And he said, you pray for us? Why do you pray for us? He said, we pray for you. You have all of that prosperity. He said, all we have is Jesus. Wow pretty easy to keep your focus on Jesus if that's all you have. And that's what that pastor said. You have so much stuff. We pray for you because it must be hard to keep your eyes on Jesus if you have so much stuff. Now, if for whatever reason you have put your spiritual journey on hold, I want to give you three reasons to resume your spiritual journey. Reason number one, you don't want God to put his hands on his belt. 
Hebrews chapter 12 says God disciplines those he loves. You don't want God to do that. Reason number two is you're missing out on the fruit that God could be producing in your life right now. That's reason number two. Reason number three, and in my opinion, this is the biggest one. You were created for God. You were created for this mountain. And nothing else is going to fill the God-shaped void hole, the God-shaped hole in your life other than what's on that mountain. Now, I want to appeal to you as someone who many times in my life have put my spiritual journey on hold. I appeal to you, resume your spiritual journey. Nothing else is going to satisfy. Nothing else is going to fill that God-shaped hole in your life. Now, there's a third group, and that's the non-responsive. People who, for some reason, haven't responded to that gift. Now, there can be a lot of reasons not to respond. One is some people don't respond because they're not convinced that this is the truth. That's you know, that's an understandable reason. Some people are not responsive because there's things they don't understand and they feel like they need to understand before they can really put confidence in what God has given us in this gift. If you're a non-responder at this point and you would like to have a conversation about things you're not sure about or things that you don't understand, they're going to put my email address up on the screen. Email me. Say, Terry, I'd like to have a conversation. The last month, I've had conversations with a number of people who on their Connect cards have checked that little box that says, I want to know more about becoming a Christian. And I've had a number of conversations with people who are agnostic, people who, 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 claim, who, who think they're atheists, but for some reason they're here at Lake Hills Church. Had a number of conversations. We can have a conversation right out here on Sunday morning out on one of these between services, on one, on, on one of these silver tables out here. Just email me and say, Terry, I'd like to have a conversation. There's things I, I want to, I don't understand. So if that's where you are, if, if there's things that are in the way of you responding, let's have that conversation. But there may be some of you that are ready to respond. And I want to give you an opportunity to do that. In just a moment, we're going to stop and we're going to pray. And if you are ready to respond to God's incredible gift of His grace, all you have to do it's just say, God, forgive me for my sin. You can list them if you want to. God already knows them. Just say, God, forgive me for my sin, and then ask Jesus Christ to come into your life and be your Lord, to be your boss. That's it. That's it. If you truly believe that Jesus Christ died on a cross and God raised him from the dead, if you really believe that, then the only thing that's left is for you to ask Jesus Christ to come into your life and be your Lord. And you do that with a real simple prayer. So I want to give you an opportunity to do that right now. Let's all bow our heads. And if you're one of the chasers, while our heads are bowed, ask God to give you the grace to keep pursuing him and his purposes. If your spiritual journey is on hold, then ask, just ask God to forgive you. He will forgive you. And ask him to give you the grace to resume your spiritual journey. 
And if you haven't responded, then just tell God, 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 forgive me for living my life without you. And then ask Jesus Christ to come into your life and be your Lord. It's real simple. You don't have to go into a bunch of detail. Just, God, forgive me. Jesus Christ, come into my life and be my Lord. Jesus Christ, come into my life and be my Lord. Everybody keep your heads bowed. I'm going to ask you to do something. If you just prayed that prayer and asked Jesus Christ to come into your life and be your Lord, before you leave here, today you were given a program. In that program, there's a connect card. Take that connect card and fill out the information on it and then check the box that said, I committed my life to Christ. We're not going to give this information to anybody. I get it. And the reason I get it is because I want to call you. I'm going to call you and congratulate you. And maybe talk about some next steps, important steps in this spiritual journey that you just started today. You just started this instant, just this instant. When you pray that prayer, your citizenship was transferred. Okay, you started it today, and I want to talk about some important next steps. So, so fill out that card. And then when you leave here today, take it by the blue tin or, or hand it to somebody uh, with a blue shirt. <clears throat> It'll eventually get to me, and I can make that call. So fill that card out before you leave. Now, if you just prayed that prayer and asked Jesus Christ to come into your life and be your Lord, then I'm going to ask you to do one more thing, and that is hold your hand up, way up. It's kind of a way of marking this in, <clears throat> in your life. You can think of it as the day you held your hand up to God. Because that's what you're doing. You said, I got a holding your hand up there and saying, God, I'm serious. I want to begin my spiritual journey with you. Come into my life and be my Lord. So hold your hand up way up high and then we have a tradition around here at Lake Hills Church you can put your hand down and when you do we're going to put our hands together